When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back with another season one, episode five, Endure and Survive podcast. Uh, this week it's the feed, or this time it's the feedback episode. Aaron, I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been at least three and a half months since we've had an episode of The Last of Us air. I don't know what's going on this week, but it, the two <laughs> days difference has thrown me completely off. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't know if Einstein had a theory on the relativity of time passage when you advance a television series two days, play a Super Bowl, and, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, but it does feel like the whole episode, the Picard's launched since then. Like, things have happened. Shit has come yeah. to light. Yeah. Uh, it is remarkable. So I don't know how much feedback we got. Hopefully everybody else is is sending stuff in before they've forgotten that The Last of Us exists. But we we we'll got see. a lot. It felt like, you know, someone drove a flaming truck through the feedback section and just infected emails just came out high pressure. And I was just trying to service as many of them as I could. Um, the only thing that helped. The only thing that helped is a lot of people had the same kind of sentiments like why how the fuck do these bloaters work or mm. you know like it's, it's very very so like a lot of it was able to compress down to just one or two but still we have a, mm-hmm. a, a nice girthy bloaterish ba- uh feedback uh just just unusually mighty uh uh to to, to, to wrestle to wrangle uh, if you'd like to send some high pressure infected emails yourself, uh, tlu at baldmove.com is where you want to do that. T L O U, The Last of Us is what it stands for, at baldmove.com. First up is Scott. He says, I was just listening to the main show for episode five and note you discussing the CGI bloater. I'm sure I won't be the only one pointing this out, but there's quite a lot of footage online of the practical suit they made for actor Adam Basil. You can see photos on his Instagram account uh, at Adam.Basil and on the account of the FX team at Barry Gower on Instagram. Barry describes it as a happy marriage of practical and digital effects. It does look like quite a lot of extensive and pretty expensive looking practical uh, effects were used. All credit to the team. It's great work. Did you see any of these pictures? Of- uh, I've, I've seen video and stuff of, of that scene. Sure. But uh, no, yeah. I'm not on Instagram. I was shocked that this suit, I mean, obviously there's some scenes where it was climbing out of the ground, I think are purely CG. Um, but I was kind of mm-hmm. shocked at how much the bloater was practical, especially when it's like long distance, you know, you're seeing it. Um, and the, the, the suit just looks amazing. Like, it's so funny to see the bloater standing there with like Cruz arms around it, you know, and it's <laughs> uh-huh. just, <laughs> there's like having a, a beer or something. Uh, so yeah, again, shocked to see how amazing the practical effects are in this, this show. Yeah. Um, I imagine it saves money. You mentioned it being pretty expensive looking practical effects. I assume practical effects save money. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder like, how true that is now. Like, every I, element I definitely, that you can composite would save you money. Uh-huh. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Probably. 
Probably. I don't mean, have to composite, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I I assume that this all saves money because if it didn't, you would just still do models and stuff. Unless there's some things you just literally couldn't. I guess that's the reason for not using models. It's like there's so many kinetic things going on in, in modern FX shots. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone in, in a... If, if you're going for a certain look or feel, um, there's also... You know, it can be hard to get certain looks. It can it can be hard to do certain interactions and get natural reactions from your actors and things. There could be reasons, right. you know, right. like non-production reasons that you would do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if anyone has any experience with FX shops to talk about, like, you know, I imagine it depends, too. Like, if you just say, is oh, it going to yeah. be cheaper doing practical or digital? It's like, it depends on what scene and what which affects how we hire and, and yeah, yeah and whether it's raining or there's going to be fog or yeah i imagine uh michael from san francisco says i want to talk about how ellie handles the situation once she knows that sam's been infected the options are basically a she actually thought her blood would cure sam when applied to his wounds or b she didn't think it would help but only wanted to give him comfort during his final moments the fact that she wakes up and is surprised to see that he's turned strongly implies it's the former and she thought it could cure him I think this is kind of ridiculous out of the gate because we're led to believe she's smarter than this. And one would think that the Fireflies would have already tried it if this were an option. However, it doesn't make sense that in any case she would uh, at least or doesn't it make sense rather in any case that she would at least tell Joel and Henry that Sam's infected. What the fuck, Ellie? I was really annoyed because she had had she told Joel and Henry about Sam's situation, then they would have had a chance to ease into a difficult situation, handle it better. And importantly, Henry would have had more time to properly process the situation. He could have said a proper goodbye to his little brother and found a better way to give Sam peace and himself closure, perhaps not to lead to him committing suicide. Does Ellie have a God complex or something about her condition that made her think that she could heal people already or she just being a kid with bad judgment or is this as i'm leaning a rare example of inconsistent and poor writing jim what do you think huh um i think it's a, a little bit of both of the first two things you mentioned there i think there is a bit i don't know if i call it a god complex but there's definitely a part of ellie that wants to believe that she's got something special here in her yeah. blood um what 14 and, year old doesn't you know sure sure and she's like a naive kid, right? I mean, rubbing blood into somebody's wound is not going to do much, if anything, other than give them whatever diseases you have already. Uh, Congratulations, yeah. you're infected and you have hepatitis E. <laughs> right, right. So, like, she she wants to think that maybe this will work somehow. And mm -hmm. And look, I bet a lot of Fedra-educated kids don't get education on, like, by a basic biology stuff right there's sure. probably a lot more on the fungus who are like attacking them on the daily basis versus right. fundamentals of biology so like care and maintenance of firearms and totally um so so i think she thinks it will actually work um and she's also a kid who maybe isn't considering the consequences if she doesn't tell them and sam turns yeah, that's the thing. It's like, man, being 14 is, I think, the crux of a lot of this. It's, you know, she she wants, she desperately wants to be special. She desperately wants to, like, you know, prove her worth. Um, she probably, yeah, I, I think Ellie's smart, but ignorant about a lot of things, obviously. Um, because she's grow, growing up in this post-apocalypse world, don't have great schools. Um, 
I didn't feel like, I mean, yeah, it would have been better had she done this, but like, I can think of any number of, uh, times where I've been involved in a kid situation where it had been better had they brought in the adults a situation, but they want to try to hold hand it on their own, or they thought that they, you know, from their limited mm-hmm. understanding and way of looking at things, like they sometimes do dumb stuff. Like that's the reason they're not allowed to enter contracts before they're eighteen. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh, it, you you you're still still form you know mushrooms aside, you're still formulating your gray stuff up there, so. I, I, I just felt like, it was, yeah, it's mostly just her being a kid and not fully th- thinking things. And she's like, she's immune. And, you know, if it, the worst mm-hmm. that happens is this kid starts to, I mean, I, I I can see her rationalizing it a lot in her head. Yeah, I mean, there's the idea that Sam could be immune too, right? Uh, she didn't know she was immune until she got bit. And it there was a hint it, of that, right? Like, look, I was immune. Maybe, you know, who yeah. knows how many times you've been bit? You don't know. Uh-huh. Um, and she wants to kind of, she, the thing that I really like about that moment is she promises to stay up with Sam and just like in the car earlier on when they were just driving with Joel, she falls asleep without thinking she's going to fall asleep is the thing. I I think what she's thinking is I'm going to stay up with Sam. I'm going to see if he's immune and if he's not immune, I'll take care of it. But then, you know, you smash cut and suddenly they're in Kansas City. She's been sleeping for four hours and didn't yep. after she said, I'm not tired at all. Yeah, that's such a kid thing to do, right? It's a very kid thing <laughs> to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually I, that could be 100 percent of it. It's like, hey, nothing bad's going to happen because I'm going to stay up. Obviously, I'm going to stay. up. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, J.M. or I'm sorry, John M. says they or the showrunners said that they think Henry's basic decency caused him to shoot Sam without really realizing what he's doing. But I respectfully disagree. I think Henry knew exactly what was happening and what had to be done, but he grabbed the gun and backed Joel off. Uh, and that read to me, if it has to be done, I'm going to be the one to do it. But I'm going to save Ellie. I'm sorry if I'm not as quick to kill him as you are. I can't imagine immediate soul-crushing grief Henry would have felt. Anyone that thinks he should have just pressed on didn't really hear the conversation he had with Joel... Henry thought himself a monster for what he'd done, but he justified it with Sam's safety, immediately realizing he failed Sam and never got to say goodbye or I love you before he turned. Yeah, I I agree. That was I don't I mean, I don't know. I feel like we're splitting splitting hairs here. It's like I think that Henry was played as if a a young man who was torn between the obviousness of what has to be done and his extreme reluctance to do that thing. Mm. And he was just trying to buy time because Joel was just going to wait in there and take care of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, And he was like. Yeah, like I said, I don't think in fully control of his actions. Like he's like, oh my god, my brother can't die. Joel's going to kill my brother. I got to keep Joel away from him. I, yeah, that's how it felt, played out to me. Uh huh. Yeah, I think you're right. It's 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 a decision that needs to be made very quickly, and it's extremely high stakes. So yeah, yeah. And then you know him just not. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a fucking hell of a scene, man. Yeah. Now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Just so we're clear about back there, it was either us or the ad. Welcome back to more Savage Starlight. Darius says, I felt compelled to write in for this episode to express how much uh, it affected me. Uh, this is one of the few times I've actually teared up while watching a TV show. Like Henry and Sam, I'm also a black man, and I just lost my older brother to suicide by gunshot a couple of months ago. Seeing the relationship between, between these two brothers really reminded me of the relationship I had with him, and in a weird way, I could really relate to this version of Henry and Sam's story because I feel like my older brother would have done his best to protect me if we were younger going through something like what Henry and Sam went through. By far, it's been my favorite episode of the season. I was absolutely floored by it and can't wait for the rest of the season. Darius, you're a strong dude. If you're just tearing up slightly uh, with all that personal history, man, uh, (laughs) I hope there's not a damn inside of you that's going to break one day because holy shit, um, I can't imagine. Like, I'm trying to think of like, if I was a dad who was watching this show and like my 15 year old daughter had just died a few months ago to a car wreck or something, you know, Mm Like, I might have noped out on this first fucking episode. Been like, nope, nope, too close to the material. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But on the other hand, I do think that art allows us to kind of connect and process with this stuff, you know, that, that we might have a hard time just doing on our own sometimes. So, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, Mike from Spokane says, here's a question for you gents. Are we supposed to assume that FEDRA is independently operating in each quarantine zone? How could that possibly work? Militaries typically don't do well with that resupply. How do they have gasoline and bullets and food 20 years after the fall? I did not see any farms nearby. I've got some head cannon, hmm. but I wondered if you had any thoughts off the cuff on how FEDRA maintains control over separate quarantine zones. Um, without any kind of trading network, I mean, I guess it'd be harder. I, I assume, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure off the cuff. I've always thought that 20 years into the future that Fedra is essentially like each quarantine zone is more operating like a feudal town that's run by a warlord. Mm-hmm. And there probably is trade. We do know that Fedra can roll out in force and go to, you know, scavenge resources and, and whatnot. But like, I think that there is limited supplies and it might just be like in Mad Max Fury Road where it's like you roll, you load up the war rigs. And once again, we're going to go to Bullet Town and, you know, the the, right. or no, the, the, the was a gas town and the bullet farm. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to and and. Obviously, sometimes QZs get overrun and fall off the map and the the trade network gets constricted. I bet something like Kansas City falling in the middle of the country is going to be a particularly severe blow to this, you know, loose network. Um, Mm. Some QZs could just go insular and stop supporting the others. But like, yeah, there clearly is no more Fed in Fedra. Yeah. So it's just, you know, like like. I mean, my impression of The Last of Us, I mean, that that title is like literal, like you are dealing with the last gasp of humanity as it's running, you know, low on fumes and is essentially bleak with no future. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't think Feder has some kind of like grand plan to like get this under control and 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 they're just they're just keep on keeping on for as long as they can. Craig from the UK says one big question I have is with the cave troll size zombie at the end. I'm exaggerating, but that was a large dude. I haven't had a problem with siphoning gas from cars or mountains being only 10 miles outside of Boston because this is set in an alternate reality. So this is the universe as they have set. What I didn't get was that they've shown me as a non-game player that the zombies are somewhat mindless, just reacting on the need to spread. But that giant zombie stopped and looked around and attacked with no thought of spreading itself and seemed to act with the will of its own. Am I missing something or will this be explained to me? Hmm. Um, it's a fair point on not looking to spread. It was looking to tear people apart. I had a lot. A lot of the emails were why does it seem like this Ur fungus monster doesn't seem to want to spread it and how it doesn't seem like it's clicking or doing anything like that. How is it navigating without any eyes? Hmm. I'm going to give you the real answer, which is this is based on a video game and this is a boss figure. Like I never thought when I was playing the game and a bloater shows up, I've never thought, well, this is stupid. Why isn't he trying to just bite me and affect me? Why is he literally ripping me in half and shit like that? It's always like, oh, my God, this fucker's going to kill, touch me and I'm going to die. You know, click, click, boom, repeat 30 times. Uh, If. If I'm trying to put on my science hat here and come up with some headcanon, uh, because a lot I, I did some I did some reading around and a lot of people have been wondering this and aren't any good ideas. You got to keep in mind that this is an evolutionary process and evolution doesn't care much about what we do after we spread our genes one of the reasons why the human body tends to start falling apart past 30 it's like Mm -hmm. once you've passed on your genes to another generation you have no more evolutionary advantage um so i think that like a bloater number one is a very rare thing it seems to happen when people are unusually powerfully built or have a lot of mass to work with and they're left in a particular set of circumstances and conditions so it could be that the the fungus just hasn't really optimized itself to completely take over you know, and you think about the way that they conceive what it's like to be an infected, which is your brain is largely intact and functional, but you are just under the influence of these massive doses of hallucinogens and chemical cocktail that makes you super aggressive. Imagine a human brain that's been stewing in that for 15 years. So it's like it's just a it's berserk it's it's lost the ability to restrain itself and it's so powerful and again it's not like the the fungus wants to do this the fungus doesn't really want to do anything you know we romanticize a little bit in season in episode two but like yeah evolutionarily speaking the the fungus doesn't want to do anything the fungus is doing things it just wants to spread i mean yeah yeah, but it doesn't have a desire to spread it's just biologically built to spread sure so it could be that bloaters since they're so rare and they're so (laughs) such an acceptable circumstance and they're like a very you know isolated phenomenon that the mushroom just doesn't have a plan for like well well, i just you know at some point you gotta you gotta pump the brakes on the aggression and the physical strength and resiliency and it just turns into this fucking thing so what I'm hearing is that there are certain uh, fungus uh, beings out there 
that are having a midlife crisis. You're ex- you're explaining to me a midlife crisis bloater <laughs> who doesn't know what to do with himself, has already spread his genes. He's got kids who are like leaving the house now. Yeah. What the hell do I do now? I guess I I guess I rip heads off. I guess so, I rip yeah, heads yeah. off. Yeah. Instead of ripping heads off, have you considered buying a sports car, maybe something in a convertible, <laughs> you know? Something to make you feel yeah. it didn't touch when you were a young uh spry clicker, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> You could still you could still kiss a hot recently infected woman. Yeah, yeah. It's it, your time mouth? hasn't passed. What mouth, Aaron, <laughs> is going to give you that ability? Um, you got no mouth. The other you got thing, no eyes. What are you going to do? The the other really chilling because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how it's often brought uh, brought up that like only particularly strong and resilient hosts can can achieve bloater status. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe it's like if you're genetically resistant to the mushroom and it has a hard time taking you over that it leads to like it's 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 one of those things where the fungus can just run amok through your body because your body is so strong at resisting it. And then I had the dark thought of like maybe the there's still an unusually amount, a usual amount of human left in the brain of a bloater. And it's intentionally subverting the fungus by killing the, the potential host instead of subjecting mm. it to what it's going through. Mm-hmm. That's I think horrific. Sure. Sure. But that's... also the bloaters love you. <laughs> if, if that's true, the bloaters just want to protect Just bloaters just want what's best for you, which in this case is going to be to die. So, <laughs> I kind of I kind of thought that was creepy cool too. Morgan says I don't understand why Sam did not attack Ellie well before she touched him. I assume the writer is suggesting that because he's deaf, he perhaps didn't hear her next to him, but he can still see at that early stage of infection, correct? Um when Okay, let's let's take that first. Why did Sam not attack Ellie? Uh, he, he was sitting with his back to her, right? Yeah. Yeah. But so also, I, like, we see a lot of infected when they're walking around. They're, like, kind of flinging their heads all around and, like, making these jerky, spasmodic actions. Like, he's just sitting there peacefully. Oh. I I don't know. I assume outside of, uh, or not having outside stimuli, he probably wouldn't have done much of anything. Yeah. I think I felt like they hinted in the official podcast that maybe Sam did that intentionally when Ellie fell asleep that like he when he realized that he was getting worse that he put his back to her knowing that he wouldn't hear her and like something like that. Uh, and also, mm-hmm. according to the federal guidelines, it takes something like two to f- or one to two days to infect someone from a leg wound and it was pretty far down in his leg. So it's also possible that he just completed the transformation into yeah. a runner like likely. Yeah, maybe maybe him mm-hmm. making weird noises is what, uh, you know, woke because like she got up before the adults did mm-hmm. kind of implying that something awoken her, you know, because I don't I mean, 14 year olds are usually yeah. not super light sleepers, not certainly my experience with teenagers has not <laughs> led me to believe that they're they're super light sleepers. So it's I, that's what I think. I think that's 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 the kind of road I'm going down here. Sure. Morgan also has another good question. When Tess and Joel and Ellie left the Boston QZ, we saw a mound of fungified humans that seemed to react negatively to sunlight and the passing clouds, whereas Sam just seemed to sit passively in front of the window when sun streamed in on him. I'm not sure I understand what they're saying at this point about how fungus interacts with the sun. I kind of, because 
I clearly, I mean, clearly, we got that impression from watching the show and mm-hmm. seeing how they react to sunlight. But like listening to the official podcast, I don't know that that was intended. Like, I think you were supposed to understand that they're almost like a patch of grass waving in the breeze, all reacting to stimulate at the same time, not like they're trying to get away from the sun. But I swear to God, that's exactly what they were doing. It seemed like it, yeah. But it could be that we just are going down a wild goose chase that the showrunners <laughs> never really intended. And that does happen sometimes. The canonical example is season one, True Detective. There's all these fucking crazy yellow spiral images in Marty's kid's bedroom, and it, we were doing a lot of theory crafting based on that, and it turns out there's an interview with the set dresser that said those are just his kid's drawings that he thought, hey, these are authentic kid's drawings from my home. I'm going to hang them up in these, and it, yeah, and I, you know, so like it, it does happen sometimes where like you think, surely to God, they are trying to lead us down the path of something and they are surprised to hear that. So I, I don't know. I'm considering this maybe being a dead theory unless we see it brought up again. It's possible. Uh, all, all this is just, you know, speculation where we're trying to come up with answers for the things that we see on screen. And sometimes yeah. those answers will be right. And sometimes they'll be way off the mark. And it's also like, there's a huge variable with Sam's recently infected, like right. potentially we don't know just how a works. few minutes or hours of being uh, an, a, a, a taken over. And those bodies in the QZ obviously have been there for days, weeks, months, you know, et cetera. So it mm-hmm. could just be the, the how advanced the infection is as well. Terrence from DC said, not sure if anyone noticed, but Sam is actually the second example of an infected not being able to hear. If you think back to episode one, while Sarah's at her neighbor's house, Mrs. Adler says regarding Nana, I don't know why I even talk to her. She's completely deaf. Later in the evening, when Sarah goes to investigate, she's super loud and noisy calling out to the Adlers, but Nana can't hear Sarah, doesn't even notice her until she's standing before her and she looks up. Nana being deaf is probably the only reason Sarah survived the first encounter in the show. Uh... Fucking good catch. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't think that has anything to do with her being infected. I think it's right because, like, clearly the infected can hear. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're be, saying, yeah. yeah, they're saying the great grandma was deaf before, and now, uh-huh. like, it does seem like, I mean, obviously, I think, but I know, I don't think it's obvious because, like, obvious Nana was confined to a wheelchair, and now she's jumping around like a spider monkey. Like, the. Yeah. Fungus can certainly reroute around some biological damage, but it makes sense. Well, no, it doesn't make sense that it couldn't fix the ears because, well, maybe it does because I don't think the clickers use their ears for echolocation. I've always assumed it's that radar dish looking fungus that they're splitting out of her face that Mm -hmm. they have like a new organ that is forming there. So maybe the maybe the fungus doesn't give a shit about her ears or her eyes. Yeah, maybe. And again, when I say it doesn't give a shit, that implies a lot more directional about right, the right. way evolution. It's just, you know, it, it it doesn't need to preserve those pathways for function. Yeah. But Sam is so newly infected that it would still rely on his body. Uh, yeah. And the physical characteristics of his body more. Yeah. I agree. S- same with Nana in those scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Kale says, isn't it a little weird that they choose cancer as the health complication that Sam had? Are we to understand they're performing chemotherapy in the apocalypse? Isn't that a little far-fetched? I feel like they could have equally chosen or chosen an equally life-threatening illness that didn't have such an extended treatment recovery process. 
and it wouldn't have stretched credulity quite as much. A lot of people had problems with why of all things leukemia, um, an appendectomy or something. Yeah, or just like he had like a severe like asthma, and you know, without an inhaler, he'd probably die or something. I mean, there's a a bunch of different things they could have used, but they didn't. Um, some part, I, although I, it's my understanding that chemotherapy is not an extremely advanced therapy. You right, are essentially right. injecting poison into humans and hoping it kills the fast splitting cancer cells faster than it kills the the person that you're treating. Yeah, I think the objection might be that it's a it's a long process. It's not something where like the you can get an operation done and you'll be fine or you can get like a dose of meds. You can take home a bottle of meds and be cool. This was something where he would have to go in and get this treatment at the Fedra hospital for months, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking for uh, childhood heat treatment and it says that sometimes you can use higher dose of chemo for a shorter period of time like less than a year but treatment usually takes two to three years to complete now there's all kinds of different leukemias probably there's all kinds of different Mm -hmm. you know who who the hell knows but uh, yeah because like my understanding of the kc timeline is that michael gets betrayed he gets executed and a short period of time later the qz falls i'm not sure if it's weeks or months i do not think it's years no i don't think so um so yeah it does feel like i don't know but i don't know maybe maybe craig and and neil did their their homework and they actually looked up and like oh there's some childhood leukemias that can be cured in like two to three months of chemo and it's all good um although i will say if it's been that recent why does sam have hair mm-hmm. uh do you yeah, always lose your hair know, with man. that i don't know i i certainly haven't done the research so hopefully yeah I have. it seems like that's a universal because like chemotherapy is attacking fast growing cells and that's why you lose your hair because your hair is some of the fastest splitting cells in your body a lot of times you have the nausea and indigestion because the stomach lining is also and your intestinal lining is also a very rapidly dividing cell and it gets targeted mm-hmm. by the chemo as it's not targeted, but it's like it's friendly fire. You know, you're sending in yeah, a, yeah. a rocket and it's just going to blow up and it's going to hit some healthy tissue, too. Um, so I would think that minimum he would be uh, if, it, if it happened less than a month. Well, he has pretty short hair, though. I don't know. I the more I think about it, the more I wish they kind of either left the disease completely just like, you know, he was really sick and he needed medicine. And the mm-hmm. only one that had was Fedra, like hanging an actual disease has people start web MD being and you start getting oncologists being like, oh, I don't under and then like, fuck. So, um, Emily says episode five really fucked me up. I watched with my partner. And as soon as Sam turned, I called what was going to happen. He's going to have to shoot him and Henry's going to kill himself because he can't live with that. I did not realize how much I'd be thinking about it hours later. I think what really eats at me the most is imagining the way these events would affect both Ellie and Joel, but especially Ellie seems like it's just trauma piled on trauma. My question to you both is as game players, does the show hit differently for you? I feel like even though the game is played through Joel's perspective, players might not internalize the trauma of each kill or death of side characters as someone watching the show. Does knowing that it's a game and you have specific a specific goal and even die repeatedly yourself as a player give you some distance from the feelings and experiences of the characters that is different than watching the show? 
I think so. Um, yeah, yeah, that POV being locked to Joel during the game encourages you to think more about Joel than Ellie. Uh, but having the split POV in the show, I, I felt it a lot more. Um, yeah, I, I felt like, yeah, this is this is something Ellie's going to have to deal with just as much as Joel. Yeah. More so than Joel, honestly. Because like you said, it's... Well, he says it's easier when you're a kid. I don't believe that's true. I I think that's way off the mark. I think Joel's wrong there. Yeah, I think that the individual deaths don't hit as hard. Like when you are shiving to death some random uh, raider or clicker, mm-hmm. you know, it's more of like I, I'm not feeling like, oh, my God, I've murdered another human being. Holy shit. It's, it's a video no. game after all. You murder yeah. a lot of people. Um. But these individual deaths, the big one, like Sam and Henry, I think hit just as hard in the game because you don't feel like you have a lot of agency in those moments. It's like, what could Joel have done Mm -hmm. to stop that? The other thing that the game does is the moment Henry shoots himself, the game fades to black for several seconds and hits you with the title card and like realize that you're going to enter a new chapter of the game. And if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, at the end of each one of these kind of like big showpiece, like emotional moments, the game gives you kind of like a level of fucking around. Like you're just walking around with Ellie and Joel and it's relatively like you kind of can process that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's almost more brutal because in the show yep. it happens. Ellie and Joel get to bury Sam and, and you know, there's a little process and then they move on. The fade to black is just like, I just remember thinking like so many different times playing the last of like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe what just happened. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, I, I, especially for a video game. Cause I can only think of like maybe three video games in my entire life that have like moved me in the same way. Yeah. And the last of us clearly is the, the most powerful. So I, again, yeah. Like just killing random dudes and like feeling like, Oh, oh this kill, you know, Oh my God, Ellie just killed 12 people. What does she think about that? It, but, but the Henry and the Sam's, you know, realizing the truth about Bill and Frank, that kind of stuff, I think hits just as hard or maybe I, differently, but equally effective, affecting. Sure. Sure. Uh, I've seen TV shows do the same thing. That the last of us does, which, is is give you this huge devastating moment and then they end the episode on that and they don't play outro music uh yeah i, I can't recall what it is it might have been a game of there's thrones a couple game of thrones episode. episodes where they was it ned was that the first one where maybe it's just, I, but i, I, I definitely know i can think of a i can think of a couple episodes where Sometimes they like when they dismember Jamie, they go like full punk right. rock. Or, like <laughs> that was the opposite. But no, but, I I really yeah. appreciate it when they do that. They give you a moment to to process what you just saw because uh, you're feeling a lot of emotions. They don't want to just push you right into the next thing. Yeah, uh, I I like that. Liv says, The Last of Us has always been coined a story about love, which is true in many respects. In the original story of the game, however, that story heavily focuses purely on parent-child love. What I noticed about the TV series is it seems to be an exploration happening of the many different forms love takes in our lives, even in the context of this disastrous world. Of course, the series is set up to mainly explore Joel's parental love for Ellie and her love for him as a parental figure. But now we see other stories of love, too. There's the romantic, tender love shared between Bill and Frank, who get to live and die together. There's the broken and complex love between Joel and Tess that ends in chaos. 
Episodes four and five seem to be the next chapter of these explorations, sibling love. We get to see the parallel stories of the sibling pairings of Sam and Henry against Michael and Kathleen and how that love that siblings have for each other drives people to do arguably terrible things. All the while, we have Joel's underlying motive to find his own brother, which we even got some insight into right as this arc began. I think these episodes do a great job of accentuating this theme of love through sibling relationships and all too well reminded us of Joel of love's joys and love's sorrows in a world like this one. Or any world, really. Because <laughs> pe- <laughs> even without horrifying zombie mushrooms, people can die at any time mm-hmm. uh, for any reason. It's terrible. It's horrifying. Someone could be listening to this podcast and have an aneurysm right now, dead 30 seconds later. Frightening. Frightening. Welcome to Savage Starlight. Jim, your <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> we need to inject a dog. We need the 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 pet and so pet can... owner love uh, oh, yeah. wrinkle yeah. here. I was like, so what we can kill it? What are we gonna so we can say give it an aneurysm? Okay. No, I I don't know. Uh pet based pet pet based aneurysms, it's the worst. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Do dogs have aneurysms and dogs just wagging their tails and just drop they dead like to. that? I feel like they, I brains, feel like they right? don't. They don't last long enough. Not a complex got, enough brain to. Yeah, you got you got it. You got to get into decades old before your brain ruptures. I think <laughs> kids can have aneurysms. Do they? I think. Do kids drop dead of aneurysms? Oh, shit. Our, t- our, our uh, producer, Talitha, says aneurysms are rare in dogs and cause no signs unless abnormal bleeding or clotting occurs. So I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh yes, love. <laughs> What's this email about? Oh right, love. It's all about uh, love. Yeah, absolutely. And how uh, aneurysm can take your love from <laughs> loved ones I, from you at any time. There's no warning signs. It could be so happening be right now in your fear. own brain. Mm-hmm. The the game definitely had a little bit of other kinds of love, let's say, uh, but mm-hmm. not much. Definitely not as much mm-hmm. as the show. So I think you're right on about that. Do you worry that they are developing some of these themes a little too much? Too much love, Aaron? You know what? what? <laughs> there's too much love in the show, it turns out. You know yeah. what? I think there's actually an email to ask this better later later on. So let's 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 uh, save it. Let's save okay. it. Okay. Don't wanna don't wanna dr- serve any dry pie unnecessarily. Uh let's see. Liz says fascinating how a game about survival deals so much with agency at the end of one's life. You have Tess saving Joel and Ellie, sacrificing herself essentially. Bill and Frank, Old Man Sniper's Last Stand, and Henry's Death by Suicide. I wonder how much of this is intentional to show the few ways people take control in uncontrollable situations. A pretty common human desire that battles the instinct to stay alive. I haven't thought about, uh, thought deeply about it, but your reaction pod put the notion in my head, and maybe you two could opine. Hmm. As you could tell by the last segment, I have a lot of intrusive thoughts. Uh, a <laughs> lot of things I think about, and a lot of, I actually spend quite a bit of time thinking about, like, what is the moment where something is worse than staying alive? You know, I, I think a lot sure. about like the nine elevens, the people like jumped because whatever was happening to them and, and, and the building was worse than plummeting dozens of floors uh, to hit the street below uh, people in other situations where like, there's, there's hope like the, the end of uh, the mist. Holy shit. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of those questions swirl my mind, and I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, you hope, you hope to live a nice, long, happy life and uh, have an aneurysm when you're 88 in bed. Uh, that's that's what you, you you hope you don't ever are never put in those situations or anyone you love are. But what mm-hmm. do you think, Jim? Um, 
just about the idea of when is life not worth living? What? No, like I how mean, people take control when there's situations oh, yeah, yeah. that I mean, because I think that's what they're talking about. Like you can uh, in rare exceptions control when you go out like no one can stop you from killing yourself, um, you know, unless you're checked into some kind of, you know, I know that you can. But like most people, if they decide they want to kill themselves, can. And right. Um, you know, it's an open question. I think I don't think we've read any of these, but some people have asked me like my opinion on euthanasia and things like, you know, if you're in a end of life situation, should you be allowed to choose? I'm going to go out today with dignity rather than 10 weeks from now under hospice care where mm-hmm. I'm so pop, uh, pumped full of opiates that I don't even know who I am anymore. I, I have a pretty clear answer to that. Yes. Yes. You should be able to die yep. with dignity if you know. I don't know what kind of process you need because I also the, the thing that scares a lot of people about that is like, you know, like what happens if doctors just make decisions that you, you you're not worth to keep alive or what happens if your family, you know, I mean, I, I, I think we could come up with safeguards that's going to keep us pr- preserve our dignity in those situations and not have people, you know, taking advantage of us. But I, I don't know. I mm-hmm. I wish we could find a way to solve that because I've seen a lot of old people die poorly and it sucks. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I agree with that. Um, as far as control goes, I mean, everybody is searching for control. That's that's in large part what life is about, uh, I would say, for most people. Uh, and it doesn't just manifest in, like, your choice of whether you stay alive or not. It's in everything you do, right? I mean, for, from something as trivial as, like, which hobbies you participate in to... Yeah something like what you do for a living, um, how you treat other people. It's all, a lot of it is about control of one's own life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a big element of that. It's different. Like I think that you take the same person and their decision about what they would do if they were in a hopeless situation would differ by their age, mm-hmm. by their relative health condition, whether they have people depending on them, whether they're children or spouses or elderly parents like those all like i don't think there's like a universal like you know x divided by y solve for b kind of thing it's it's very individual and a lot of people are are envied for their lack of concern of the the control of their life right i think like you look at somebody who seems to be living carefree uh and just doing whatever at any time And it looks like it looks from the outside like they either don't care uh, to have any control over their life. They've sort of given themselves over to the inherently uncontrollable nature of it or they they have somehow mastered it is the other way you can go. Right. Like, oh, well, they they clearly get life on a deeper level. Uh, I think people envy that because in their own lives, they are searching for some kind of balance with control. Yeah. Watch out for that fungus. We'll be right back with more Savage Starlight. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. Alyssa says, do you think the show's creators meant for there to be any symbolism when Sam asks Ellie to stay awake and she doesn't? I couldn't help but thinking about a potential biblical reference at this point. Is this meant to elevate Sam and thus change the way we look at his death? I know you don't normally like to get into biblical or religious points. Uh, I'm not sure where we gave you that impression, Elisa, because like <laughs> that's kind of our secret sauce, you know. <laughs> like, it has been, yeah. The last of or the leftovers wouldn't have been nearly as well. Um, 
Are we talking about that. Peter here? What's what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Like um, the she she didn't illuminate what she was thinking, but the first thing that left to my mind is in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was asking his disciples to keep watch while he prayed. Um, okay. And they kept on falling asleep, um, which hmm. is setting up all the times they're going to betray him and fail him and how they're going to be infallible, like leading up to his death. Um, I don't think Sam is particularly a Christ figure, though. And I'm not sure where... Uh. We would because, like I said, don't I? I don't mind discussing this stuff, like you know, Christianity and and others, like you know, Judaism, uh, uh, Islam. You know, are like the dominant cultural mythology and in our society, and also profound religious experiences to a lot of people. Um, and and I spent the first thirty years of my life a sincere believer, so like I kind of get both sides of that. Um, but I don't know, nothing, nothing really jumps out at me. Yeah, if anything, it's like an inversion of it. Where Ellie, the savior, is falling asleep here, and yeah. Sam, the disciple, is the one who is is telling her not to fall asleep. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Or maybe it's centering like on the experience of the apostles, where they feel the profound kind of guilt and shame they felt at failing the Lord at this critical time. It's like you're supposed to feel mm-hmm. that for you know Ellie clearly feels like I mean she apologizes for it, right? Uh huh. Uh, K-Dub says, separately, I've been thinking of the psychology of Kathleen. My Polish grandmother met my Polish grandfather when she was about 16 years old in a work camp in Germany during World War II. They immigrated to the U.S. after the war ended. My grandmother was a difficult person in some ways, and I remember my mom wondering if it was a side effect of her beginning her adulthood in that camp. It was not what anyone would call a normal situation or community and probably stunted her maturity. Maturity. The character of Kathleen seems to have been a child or teen when the infection and Fedra response first occurred, especially given that Casey Fedra was extra bad. Kathleen probably grew up without a surrounding community of people who could temper whatever innate hardness existed within her. It's not an excuse, but it could be an explanation. Mm-hmm. I like this a lot, you know. I I think the official podcast mentioned something about this, certainly the timeline of Kathleen um, and how she was a teenager when this happened and you got to imagine like some of the hardships she had to experience at the hands of a particularly nasty Fedra, um, that maybe her brother Michael wouldn't have, you know? Yeah. I, you know, they, they have this famous saying in like, uh, therapy that like hurt people, hurt people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you, it's certain, you go through certain traumas and these negative stimulus and I'll, I'll submit that a fucking death camp in Nazi Germany is one of those experiences where like you, your probably brain chemistry changes, like to literally kind of armor and shelter you for, to a certain extent. And Mm -hmm. that's probably makes it hard to relate to other people. Like, how do you get, you know, you give grandchildren that are like playing with their Game Boys and stuff. Like, how the fuck can you relate to that with the experience that you had growing up? Like, how can you relate to their childhood? Vice versa, how can those children, grandchildren relate to you? You know, sure. There's a certain level of like impossibility to that. So, and I like what you said. It's not an excuse, but it could be an explanation. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. big on that. Like, you don't excuse people's bad behavior, but like you can to a certain extent, extent, understand. Yeah, and hopefully have a following like, oh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like, I <laughs> anybody that says like they for sure wouldn't do something terrible, I feel like those people are at the most risk of doing something terrible. <laughs> totally, yeah. 
right? Like if you're like, I would mm-hmm. never betray my com if, if I I'm like, ah, you probably are the one. Like you you haven't even fucking mentally thought about it. You're the first that's going to yeah. flip. You know? Yeah. You haven't started building your armor yet. Right. You're going to be yeah, scrambling yeah. when the situation actually comes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. But, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know if that's, like, based in any kind of actual <laughs> fact of mental resiliency. But I mean, look at the evidence my, of my Bill, prejudice. right? He had a fucking sure. plan for 20, 20 years, and it all went to shit when, when it hit the fan, so. Yep, it all... <laughs> I was going to say, it all went to shit when he saw Frank's sweet, sweet ass. Um, <laughs> Fair. But, yeah, also years. during the raid, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John from Rhode Island, watching Tilu, I'm reminded of K- Stephen King's observation that the horror genre, uh, in the horror genre, gore is often a cheap substitute for terror. This show has been remarkably light on actual blood and guts compared to its subject matter and the source material. I originally thought this was just part and parcel of the slow burn through the plot, but after episode five, I now think this is a conscious design or decision on the part of the showrunners. This is the most violent plot since the premiere, but very little of the viscera was shown on screen. In particular, Perry's death was shown at a distance and the camera cut away before Henry's suicide, showing only Ellie's reaction. I honestly like this approach, and I'm wondering if you guys had a perspective. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love gore. I think it's awesome in its own right uh, and a ton of fun. But you're right. There's a huge difference. I, I don't get scared when I think something gory is going to happen, I get scared when I think something's going to happen to characters that I love. Uh, th- that's bad. Yeah. Looking at the show though, this show isn't really a horror show either. It has very scary moments, but if you look at True. the the track record here, we have two entire episodes where nothing scary happens. There is no, there, there's no infected whatsoever. Right. I mean, you look at the Frank and Bill episode, that's, there's no scare in there. You look at episode one, there's no real scare in there. We've had the clickers and we've had this scene pretty much. Uh, Wait, episode one absolutely had scary shit in it. The initial initial infected running around, you know, biting people and coming after people. Grandma. Well, see, I guess that's the difference. Like I see them, I, I see these things like tearing people apart or biting people. And I'm like, that's not scary. That's not scary. I it like when I. It, they they are building tension there to me. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I see them driving through the city and I guess that's like starting to get tense. But things like the clicker scene to me are the scary things. Things like them walking into the museum. Okay. Where you yeah. know there's danger ahead and they're having to go into it. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the, the, the city stuff, the, the whole like infection breakout thing, that's scary. So you're right, but there isn't a ton of that in this show. Like, this is presumably a show that is a horror show, yeah. but I feel like it's more a character drama than anything. Yeah, and I think that the I think the video game was not like we are conditioned by watching things like The Boys and The Walking Dead and uh, uh, Peacemaker things that like almost exaggerate how gory people getting shot and beheaded and whatnot. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, but it, it, but it's like, almost like how big of a full body explosion, how bright the blood, how much blood, mm-hmm. how much pulp and chunk and all that. Like they're obsessed and like to almost comical degree at times. In fact, to an intentionally comical degree at times, the last of his video games, not like that. It's, I would call brutal, but not gory. Like, you know, yeah, no, totally. 
beating, you know, like clubbing someone over the head with a two by four with a, a knife duct tape to it is brutal. But in reality, it doesn't, you know, it's not like gouts of blood come flying out or someone's eyeball pops out or shit like that. I've even like, you know, um, we see the parry execution out of remove and that in video game, it's it's all up your face. Like it's like all you see mm-hmm. is Joel's head and the clicker roaring behind him. And as, as you but like right before it's about to get terrible, it cuts to black. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can tell what's going to happen. But and I feel like the game kind of preserves that in a way. It's like it's very it makes it very grounded and realistic. You know, death feels appropriately weighty when it's not like. You know, like in like in Doom, where it's just like fireworks of blood coming out of people when you shoot them. Yeah. Uh, Andrew from Jersey says, after watching the latest episode, I'm a little confused about the zombie lifespan. Not sure if there's any in world answer, but I figured I'd throw this out there. The Kansas City people said that the zombies have been driven underground for several years. We're led to believe that the last of the zombies are not undead, but more of a parasitic creature. This means the organism is still alive. When we see the dried up desiccated zombies stuck to building walls. I figured this was because they slowly died due to a lack of substance. If the Kansas city zombies are underground for several years, how are they still alive? What are they feeding on? Rats. I have a, I have a really disgusting suggestion, but I want to see what you can have first. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. The answer is, I don't know what's down there. Have you ever heard the the phrase? These people are treating me like a mushroom. They're keeping me in the dark and feed me full of shit. Hmm. what would mushroom people in sewer tunnels for years with thousands of people living above them what would they subsist on rats. this is the i i said <laughs> i can't i can't i can't sure rats. it's if rats. you can get rats uh-huh. you take rats but i'm saying <laughs> human centipede with extra steps baby uh... Wi-Fi human Wi-Fi human centipede. <laughs> Mushrooms can break that shit down, no problem, no yeah. problem. Yeah, they use different the nutrients, I'm sure, than the human body. Yeah, yeah. It's the only the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that mm. makes sense. <laughs> like Sherlock said, when when you've dismissed all the impossibilities, whatever remains, no matter how disgusting, must be the truth. Yeah, his catchphrase: "Human shit, my dear Watson." human shit (laughs) Occam's shit razor Uh, okay Anthony from Sacramento says let's talk the sniper in town scene Tealy production built a wait one eighth mile stage with strong lighting and cameras to shoot this as a quote unquote night scene and you can see pictures on r slash the last of us HBO series mouthful we've seen other shows really screw the pooch on this they use the day to night shift technique to darken or blue the image in post production can you talk a bit about this? In your opinion, why is filming in true dark better than using post? Can you share some examples of good or bad scenes for those who aren't familiar? Or when Mando or The Expanse use the 3D screen background as opposed to green screens, how does that change the look and feel of the scene? In other words, could you take a few minutes to talk practical effects versus CGI post? Um, Ooh, I don't know if I'm qualified, but I've certainly seen bad examples and great right. examples of this. I mean... House of the Dragon had a particularly bad beach scene this year. Uh, the Walking Dead has done some god awful uh, day for night shots. Yeah, um, yeah. good day stuff. For night, I've seen. Rain for sun. They, they, sure. they do some, they do some sure. wild shit over there on that show. Day for night, then night for day. Somehow, uh, <laughs> yeah. The, some good examples I've seen is Better Call Saul does this amazingly. They have this. They kind of 
maybe not pioneered, but definitely like utilized some technology to let them shoot in extraordinarily low light. Um, and it gave them these just inky jet blacks uh, where you could put small pools of light in a room and get get high detail out of those pools of light uh, while seeing yeah. nothing else in the rest of the room. So I, I think there are some great examples of that. But as far as like great examples of day for night shooting. I got one, I a recent example. Really? Does uh, it ever work out? Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, now, a lot of those show scenes were shot at night, but if you've seen them, they're shot at night, but they have enormous billboard-sized light panels suspended 100 feet of the air, flooding the area with light, so they can then turn that down and post. But a lot of the shots, especially of him riding the horses and stuff at night, were actually just straight-up day for night that they huh, digitally okay. color-corrected. And, and That's the thing. If it's good, you don't notice it, right? That's the, that's the fucking thing. If it's good, you don't notice. If you want to see some canonically god-awful day for night, uh, see Ed Woods playing Nine from Outer Space. <laughs> like, that's got some god-awful day <laughs> for night mean. shooting. Legendarily bad. But, but yeah, the real thing is, is if you see um if you see good good day for night you don't even notice it it completely uh-huh. just works um and i but but all and and even night shooting needs a surprising amount of light so you can see where it'd be tempting to just like well shoot a broad daylight and then it'll just color correct it and but you also have to keep in it because like some of the stuff that made hot d god awful is that they didn't do like they have torches in scenes, but since they're not like doing any kind of digital post production, it's like they these these fires feel weird, like they're unnaturally not giving off light, you know, mm, because in the yeah. broad daylight, they can't cast light or shadow because the mm-hmm. sun is much more powerful at night. They should they should light up the area. They don't. Uh, you see. uh, uh oh, Jesus Christ, Rhaenyra and like Damon on the beach and they're squinting. Because it's mm-hmm. fucking noon and there are it's very bright outside and, you know, at night they shouldn't be doing that at all. So you have to really think about the light and the shadow and how you're at the to, to overall make it convincing. You can't just like film it at high noon and then put a blue tone over it and call it good. No. Uh, and why a show that gets twenty million dollars an episode does that? I I, I don't I don't know. There are a lot but, of reasons. I mean, it could be yeah. a schedule. It could be just simply a scheduling issue. Ah. Um, I I know. Like postpone it, get it, get it some other time. Yeah. Right, but people have contracts. People are unable to come back and do shoots uh, at sure. certain times if you need them to. There's a myriad of reasons. Filmmaking is an extraordinarily complex thing. Sure. Uh, and, and sometimes it's just. They're cheap, but sometimes they want to take care of their actors. They were talking in the, the oh, main, that's true. Uh, the official podcast, how much shooting at night sucks. And they did it for like three weeks. Like you said, some other shows have done it for many times that amount of, uh, of weeks. And they have had real problems with their actors yeah. just kind of losing it. Uh, yeah. their, their crew too, like losing it. Yeah, because it's like it's not like, oh, they're just going there and working for a couple of hours. It's like you get there three or four hours before sunset. You're rehearsing scenes. You're getting your costume and your makeup. Obviously, the guys like the bloaters and the clickers have been in the chair for like eight hours before that getting all applied. Then you Mm -hmm. shoot all night long, like the nights. If it's you get 10 hours of darkness, you're shooting that 10 hours. And then the crew that goes, you know, you could probably the. 
above the line folks go home and then there's all the cleanup and reset for the next night that you have all day mm-hmm. to do so it's like it is pretty fucking grueling and you know i i know that like i used to work third shift you can get used to it but mm-hmm. like if you are not a third and suddenly you're just going to be working third shift and extreme you know like 12 13 14 hour third shifts yeah. seven days a week uh for three weeks like that can kind of eat at you um mm-hmm. especially if like you know because it was i guess cold in alberta it was snowing a lot of times like you know they're not mm-hmm. allowed to you know the lot these actors have to act without any coats and not act cold that's another thing that kind of goes into it i don't know that was a big thing of better call saul that albuquerque in the desert gets fucking cold and they're filming yeah. sometimes in the winter but like it's supposed to be summer so like Jesse's running around in a t-shirt and mm-hmm. jeans and it's like 30 fucking degrees. So it's it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons why you would want to not do it if you can get away with it. Uh, Dave from Florida says, I'm loving The Last of Us and watching it got me to stream the game on my PS5. I'm sure there's a lot of people like me who are now exposed to the game because of the show. I made a point of actually playing behind the episodes so I don't spoil anything for myself. You guys have played the game prior to seeing the show and often comment on the similarities and difference between the characters on the show and the game. You got me thinking about how your first exposure to a storyline oftentimes sets the bar and your satisfaction with the adaptation depends on it. This happened to me with Game of Thrones. I saw the show first, then read the books. and I couldn't unsee, for example, Peter Dinklage as Tyrion when I was reading. Unfortunately, without winds or dream, I can't wash the poor TV series ending out of my brain. I just got to the point in The Last of Us where I'm running around with Bill and I keep thinking, man, that guy from Community was so much better than this version of Bill. I love to hear your thoughts on this as so much of what we see these days are adaptations. Do you have a preference in the order in which you view media? Um, boy. I, I have one strong preference, and this has come up a couple times in the podcast. I think if you're going into any series that has like prequels and sequels and whatnot, you should always, always, always watch, read, or listen to things in the order that they were released and published. You should sure. not. The chronological viewings are for veteran people who, to appreciate the nuances and the foreshadowings and stuff like that. But you will often spoil shit that happens later in the series by doing that because the author is assuming that, you know, and you've read or seen or listened to everything that's come before. So that's my one ironclad. And some people have taken me like I don't fucking care. The chronological published order is the intended order of viewing by the creators. And if you are telling people to watch it in chronological order and the first time through, you're doing them a disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's people can people can. It's art. Who gives a fuck? That's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I guess all things considered, I would prefer to watch something that doesn't have visualization built in. Um Or I prefer to engage Ooh. with something that doesn't have a visualization built in because that's an element that I can't. You're right. I can't. I can't get rid of it. I see. Right. Like even reading the Expanse now. So the Expanse is like, this is the example for me. I started reading. Or I started watching the show and then reading the books, and I could not get the depictions of the characters out of my head. Even when, you, you know, for the most part, they line up with the book. But yeah, I would have like things in my head that the characters did. And they would carry over into the books that I was reading too, and uh-huh. be like, "Well, okay, did did he do this in the series? Did she do that in the books? Which one was it?" Uh, I found myself like getting a little confused with that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I guess I would prefer not. I would prefer to read the thing first, I suppose, 
um that way i can come up with my own kind of imagination of what these characters look like and i can take that into a series where i i can i can conform what i imagined them to look like into what they actually look like here yeah that's a good point because I, I in fact I found it th- always jarring when I'm reading the expanse and I see like everyone saw they'll stop and physically describe Naomi and she's like seven right. foot tall and rail uh-huh. thin because she grew up in zero gravity right sure and Dominic Tipper does not look like what but it, it always throws or like you'll you get an ex- example of Amos like he's like very middle aged and balding with like a gut mm-hmm. kind of yeah. like me <laughs> and I'm like fucking West Chatham is a fucking Chad thumb uh he, he's nothing like that he's a beautiful beautiful man um yeah but like it's weird that like sometimes again it happened reverse because i was a tolkien fan since junior high school and i had very strong ideas of like what gandalf looked like what frodo looked like what aragorn looked like and mm-hmm. i'll be damned that peter jackson has blown that shit clean out of my neurons like yeah. i can know like when i'm reading the books now i inevitably see vigo mortensen as you know aragorn strider or whatever uh, it's completely reformatted how I, you know, Billy Boyd is now like my cannot. Yeah, it's like it's it's and, completely and reformatted I, it. I guess I only care because I'm like when I find something I really love, I, I'm sort of greedy with it. I want to like mm. cherish it and exp- experience it in the best way possible. Yeah. And so that gives me yeah, the opportunity yeah. to experience it both ways as opposed to if I just watched the thing first and then went and read the novels. I can't experience the novels through my own imagination anymore, like you said. Right. It's now seeing it through the lens of a depiction of these characters I've already seen. Yeah. It's so it's, it's always weird, weird because like before the golden age of television, um, I kind of always and, and I guess cinemas kind of followed this too. I was kind of dreaded like when I was really into a book and they adapt it into a movie. It's like, well, it's just going to be shit. You know, like I was such a huge sure. Tom Clancy fan and all those Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan, uh, uh, are good as action movies in their own right, but they don't hold a candle to the books. Like the only one that kind of the only Jack Ryan movie that kind of sort of works as well as the book is Hunt for Red October. Um, hmm. That's becoming less and less true. I feel like Hollywood is smarter in how they adapt things and what they adapt. And like you are getting some shockingly faithful adaptations or things like this, where it's like it's faithful to the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um even if it does change plot. Cause yeah, it's, it's like a lot of times um, movies would not even try to even stay uh, true to the spirit of a work. Like it's oh, like they yeah, just take yeah. the basic characters and action and they don't care about the themes and they'll change things that violate the spirit. And that shit used to drive me crazy. That doesn't happen as much. And when it does shit gets nailed to the wall. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like I said, I would strongly recommend people to watch the show and then play the video game. But that's only because you're in the middle of it. And I don't know why the hell you would stop in the middle of something <laughs> and spoil yourself. It's like you're getting the yeah. worst versions of everything, you know? Yeah, it sounded like the the email here was trying not to play through the parts that hadn't been depicted in the show. Which sure. And that's a, I, I think that's it's a cool. decent yeah, way that works. It. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know if you're getting past the, like, yeah, if you do it that way. But, um yeah. And again, I don't care. You guys are big boys and girls. Do whatever you want. You know, you you know your own enjoyment. I can only speak from my own experience and how I would advise people if they came up to me. So here's, here's what I think is going to happen. And this might be controversial yeah. with some of the people who have played the game here. Strapped uh, in. I think people who watch the show and then go play the game are going to be a little disappointed by the game. 
Now, the story of the game specifically, I think the gameplay is still there. It's still a great game, but they have fleshed out so much more of this world. They have fleshed out these characters so much more in these five episodes than they really ever do in the game. And I expect them to do even more by the end of the series. I think you're going to see the game as fairly thin because I think it is. Hmm. It, it does a lot of really good storytelling, uh, stylistically but there isn't well, a nothing ton like episode there. three yeah right there's nothing like episode three there's like you you get some good stuff with tess and joel i think you get some good stuff with obviously joel and ellie um the bill and frank stuff is there but it's a little different and it's like it's i said it's the, implied it's the fun... it's a, there isn't a lot of like there there yeah but it's yeah I, I think that's what's version. gonna happen of what that is and I man I tell you what they'd be super smart like I would pay five bucks easy for a DLC that just replaces building a video game with a Nick offer <laughs> model and, and have Nick sure. re-record the voices uh-huh I think that would be really fucking cool um and I love the game I think it's great don't get me wrong I just think it doesn't hold a candle to the show in terms of its storytelling Here's my suspicion. If you're a gamer that hasn't played The Last of Us yet because you're an Xbox or a PC gamer, and I'm, my understanding is this game is going to be available to PC players very soon if it hasn't already, mm-hmm. you are going to pick up the game and just fucking love it. And you're going to see the, the differences and the nuances between it and the, and, and the show, and you're going to be very pleased. Hmm. I my concern is like there's going to be a, probably a lot of non gamers that uh, decide like I'm going to give this Last of Us thing a try because I like the show so much and I kind of want to I, I want to get ahead of Volume Two and all that kind of stuff and it's a lot it's a lot of game man it's like if you're not familiar with like the mechanics of twin stick shooting or mouse and keyboard movement it's a hard game it's gonna be frustrating gonna die a lot and also Mm -hmm. yeah you're going to the the show expounds and illuminates almost everything in the tv show except for the actual combat and if you're not a gamer that likes that puzzle oriented of like i have this gun and i have this enemy and i have to do this and again last of us a very frustrating game and that you never feel like you have enough shit you never feel like i have enough ammo or enough things for this um i have enough health etc that that might turn off a lot of people but that's like the same like if a person's not a reader and they're like i really like game of thrones i'm gonna start reading like (laughs) man those are phone book fucking size books man it's not like yeah harry potter volume one like where it's pictures and shit like it's a it's a real ass novel it's depth deep and complex and long and boring in places so i I feel like you'll have that i wonder if people will actually do that because there's a big barrier to entry like if you're not a gamer it means you probably don't have a pc that's very powerful. You probably don't have a video game console in your house unless you have kids that have one. Well, but so a lot probably, of people do, right? A lot of non Yeah, a lot of people probably, probably do. Yeah. But there's probably yeah. a big barrier to entry if you are This is true. saying like I I want to go see this, right? Cuz everybody has a television. Period. Point blank. Yeah. yeah. Uh so they can just like say, "Yeah, I'm going to go pay $20 on Apple or whatever and get the season of TV." A game you have to invest in the hardware and that's that's a big barrier to entry. I'm really seriously considering doing a complete playthrough of The Last of Us Remastered after the show's over. Doing it on Twitch. Oh, on Twitch. All like, right. Just openly yeah. invite, and I'm gonna and my the way I would do it. And I, if you want to get in on this too, maybe we could like take turns or whatnot. But I'm and I'm and also I, I will not be held to this because we're about to be in like mm-hmm. four shows deep here. 
Um, yeah. But I, I, I would like to structure it like each week I play the chapter that is represented by the episode. Like So like the f- first week of the playthrough, I'd play the events of episode one. Second week, I'd mm-hmm. play the events. I'd keep, I would structure it. There'd be nine playthroughs, and however long or short they took, I would just, I would, and then you'd have those chapters you could look up. I'd probably put it on the bald move. So, like, because I, I was like, man, if I wanted to recommend, because like, like those people that are on those, like you said, barriers to entry, um, I would like to recommend the YouTube series, but like, I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. who's got the best playthrough, because I think the best playthrough would be probably minimal amounts of deaths minimal amounts of flailing around you kind of like play it as cinematically as possible i'm not going to be doing that but it will be me playing it so there's that uh troy baker should get together with one of the other voice actors each week and play and do exactly that that would be super interesting that would be yeah if he doesn't have a twitch career he could launch it for sure my god that's a great idea i would yeah i'd watch that over me for sure uh (laughs) But yeah, I, and I uh-huh. think like what I'll probably do, I'll probably play it on one of the lower difficulty levels so that I don't flail a much. And I'm pretty like I I think I played medium difficulty last time, and because I was familiar with the game, um, I didn't struggle that much. So mm. I don't know something to keep in. I think I think I will be doing that after the season is over, though. Stay tuned to the penultimate finale. See what I decide if I can actually get 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 something I don't have to do done. That's traditionally a struggle for me too. <laughs> yeah. All right, this is the gateway to the spoiler section uh, for this week. It's it's not spoilery in of itself, but it's a it's it's the last one before we get to the spoiler section. So uh, get get your your stop buttons ready if you're not a game player. Nicole K, I'm sorry, Nolan K. I had a question about how you two choose to navigate and avoid spoilers for The Last of Us as you provide your post episode commentary. I've been listening to the official HBO podcast alongside yours, and I noticed a small but significant difference between them. You guys do a great job of keeping the podcast spoiler free like myself uh, for show only listeners like myself. But I've also noticed it seems like you rarely call out differences between the game and the show, even after the episode is aired. The official podcast does no such thing. They seem to have no qualms of diving right into how things happened on screen and how they might differ from the game and why the showrunners make that decision. As someone who came to Bald Move for Game of Thrones back in 2017 and already read all the books, I love listening to the instant talk, full podcast and feedback with the spoiler section at the end. Having not played The Last of Us, it's out of sheer willpower that I turn off the feedback pod every week before the spoiler section so as to enjoy the show spoiler-free. Good for you. A lot of people (laughs) don't have that willpower. And then they get mad at us, right? You know, it's like, (laughs) you did it to yourself, man. That said, I sorely miss being able to hear your thoughts on the changes between the source material and the show version. Would you be open to calling more of that stuff out? And why do you currently avoid discussing differences? Would you be open to diving into that a little more? Jim, what's your thoughts? Uh, it's, it's dangerous waters. A lot of those, um, seemingly innocuous discussions when you're trying to talk about a particular scene that's already happened on the show can lead to spoilers inadvertently in other places that haven't yet been shown. Um, cause a lot of this story as most good stories are, is kind of intertwined. Um, so I don't think it's something we consciously like say, Hey, we can't do this, but I just, I have a very keen sense of like what I consider a spoiler and it's pretty conservative. I, I don't, I don't want to like try and tell people what their idea of a spoiler should be. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of rein mine in as somebody who has for, for whatever it's worth a responsibility 
to the audience to not spoil them. I kind of rein it into what I think is like a reasonable person's idea of a spoiler. And then I say, well, I'm just not going to talk about these things because if I do, there's a chance they could bleed over across that line. Yeah, I I think that um, because like I I kind of amazed at how forthcoming the main show is, but they have an advantage that we Mm -hmm. don't is that they made the show because I'm always in my (laughs) mind. Um, something happened to me, I think in season two of game of Thrones where something they zigged when they, they zagged and it's the same story and the same outcome, but like there was a set piece or like a, a nugget in there that I really enjoyed from the books and I'll be damned. I think in season three, they brought that in completely unrelated yeah. to another thing. And it's like, mm-hmm. I felt no, no one ever like drug me for that or whatever, but I felt bad. Cause I'm like, and I learned the lesson which is if I think something's cool and was missing from that scene, then the showrunners probably think so, too. And they might repackage mm-hmm. that later at a different where it makes more sense or they have a little bit more budget. And then I also I know a lot of people are interested in it, but I personally think it's the lowest form of content, like the sheer just differences between this and that. And it almost only. Yeah, like it's like if you have played the game, it's obvious when things are changing and it's like to point them out exhaustively seems um, tough. But I also think we talk about the changes when they're important. Like we talked a lot about the difference between like Frank and Bill and Bill and Frank in the game, because those are huge changes that would alter how you approach the characters. Right. But like Mm -hmm. other things and like, you know, like when they don't have spores or not spores, we talk about that. Um, part of it is I played this game a year ago the last time and I just been at least two times where like before the instant take, I'm like, didn't this happen instead of this? And Jim's like, no, no, this pretty much, I just played this two weeks ago and it happened <laughs> right. And I'm wrong. like, I'm yeah. like, fuck really? And most of the time I, I'm assuming he's right. So like, I don't trust my memory when stuff is slightly different to like, oh, they mm. definitely, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly just an undue amount of caution because i remember i i forget no it was the foundation podcast where the host and the showrunner were talking about foundation and they were doing kind of like a loosey-goosey talking about and they ended up spoiling something that happens in the next episode um i can't remember if they took heat for that or not it was is a minor thing but i i just i think we've only like inadvertently spoiled something two or three times in the entire history of bald movement it's always been very minor it's always been something we were able to fix within an hour or two of release um yeah we did it on the show uh so that's the other thing there's a secondary component here which is like keeping us from making these slips up slip ups and it's our producer uh because i i will say there's a part of this show this very podcast that you will never hear because it was a spoiler and we realized it midstream during this conversation and we said well let's go and take that out and so yeah we're we're very conscious about not wanting to spoil people and I think yeah. and when, I, when we feel like it's a spoiler, we do our best to remove it. And there's some shows that I feel like you can tell that the host wants to let people know the stuff that they know. And they like talk obliquely about it and like in a very kind of like teasing kind of like oh, big yeah. brother, big sister kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I find that so fucking cringe and insufferable. So I, yeah. I like I try to stay way far away from. Oh, kids, like, wait till you next you week know. when <laughs> I guess, uh-huh. like, yeah. Oh, the people there have no idea what's coming for that. I just hate shit like that. But it's super yeah. tempting. 
right? Yeah, I, I see why people would want to do it. You know, they're excited, right? They're excited about the thing that they really like. And they want to let people know how excited they are, but they can't talk about it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They, they comes through as like a, haha, I have secret information and I'm, yeah, yeah that stuff bothers me. And too. sometimes they talk about it so much like you can infer spoilers from the negative space because they uh -huh. like, it's like, oh, they exhaustively talk about this thing, but then they clam up on this and it's like, oh, well, there is a bloater sized hole in what they're talking about. So. I, like I said, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts for fun and I tend to see things that I like in approaches and things I don't like. And that's definitely one that I try to avoid. All right. That's going to do it for the non-spoiler, the spore lore section. Um, we do have uh, two emails to consider. Nothing in the spore lore. It's only super spore lore. That means you need to play both The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2, all DLCs inclusive, to not get spoiled by uh discussion so if you are a game one a last of us one or show watcher you want to bail out now t-l-o-u at baldmove.com is how you send us feedback to the feedback podcast uh please consider supporting us at uh, support.baldmove.com least of the uh, the least of which is you get access or the most of which the last of which uh you get access to our uh, <laughs> our instant take an instant talk podcast where you can watch us record it live as soon as the episode's over and it's a great way to unwind after an episode and listen to the community's thoughts and you can get your own in uh, through the, the YouTube chat function of the, uh, the instant take instant talk um, also follow us on twitter.com slash bald move you want to keep up with all of our other non TLU releases because we do a bunch of stuff bunch of movies bunch of TV shows just started Picard last night mm -hmm. uh gonna be starting yellow jackets here in a couple weeks uh tons of stuff coming up and uh finally we will be back on sunday night with the instant take for everybody instant talk exclusively for our supporters let's get into the super spore lore section now when we go to the ad make every shot count we'll be back with more of savage starlight we're not the cure for mankind but we have your favorite podcast here's more of savage starlight Okay, Bobby McRae is up first. I'm sorry, Bobby McCrary says, first of all, surely they'll get Jeffrey Wright to play Isaac. He was the voice actor and he mo-capped his character in The Last of Us 2. And he has a history with HBO uh, working on Westworld. I forgot that Isaac, do you remember who Isaac is? Man, no. He's the leader of the WLF faction that Abby comes from. Oh, he okay. kind of turns into the primary antagonist for her as the events of last of us Two unfold. Uh, gotcha. That's just, yeah, I have no notes. That's a great suggestion. They should do it. I don't, the only thing I could think of is if like Jeffrey Wright is like hard to get at this stage. Yeah. It's I don't one know. Thing to show up to a canceled a show. So that's true. <laughs> that's true. He's got room in his schedule for a FX intensive, sci-fi fantasy hbo prestige show mm -hmm. oh my god you can just transfer his paycheck from one to the other <laughs> right. uh, that'd be my only concern is his stature's go grown so big that he like it's one thing to do a couple weeks in the voice booth and a week or two of mocap for a fairly but like yeah i guess i hope they get it i hope they do because you're right that'd be perfect mm -hmm. uh he says i have an out-of-the-box suggestion for abby I think our favorite Martian Marine, Frankie Adams, 
uh, would be great. She'd probably have to do an American accent, but when I think of Abby, I think of a woman who is a level three badass. I haven't found any former MMA uh, women fighters in Hollywood capable of the performance that will be required to get a hostile fan base to warm up to her. I've seen Frankie Adams. I want to watch Frankie deliver an ice cold line good when she hears Ellie's girlfriend is pregnant. Your thoughts? What do you think about Frankie Adams as Abby? I mean, I love her. She's awesome in The Expanse. Uh, I could see it. I could see it. I do want to point out that Frankie Adams, one of when she first was cast, a lot of fans didn't like it because they're so focused on the, you know, Bobby Draper in The Expanse is described as like a six and a half foot tall Arnold Schwarzenegger ripped woman. Like she's just veiny and vascular, huge muscles, enormous and Frankie is like she's six foot tall and she's like looks like what she is a woman who fucks around in the ring and is fit and strong, but she's not like bulging, you know, huge yeah. bodybuilding muscles. So that's the thing that defines But the thing is, that defines me about Abby is she is that way and it's part of her character. Like mm-hmm. you see her as a little girl and she's just a normal little, you know, little, little girl. And then you see her that the 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 body that she's forged in a single minded crucible of revenge is a big part of her characterization. Um, yeah. How, how about well, now that she's Marvel swole, let's get Natalie Portman in there to do it. <laughs> she's not well, like big enough in stature, but she is definitely like bulked up in a way that I would be like, all right, that's believable as Abby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got the shoulders. She got the guns. Um, the other thing about Abby is that I think she has to be believably as young as Bella for it yeah. to work because they are literal yeah, yeah. mirror images of each other. Um, so like you have, so that's a, that's if I'm a casting person, I'm looking. I'm trying to find someone who's between 18 and 24 who uh, I need to be able to film like as a 14 year old, and I need to be able to film as like this unbelievably jacked 20 year old. And I need to do all these things like that's a fucking tall <laughs> order. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that the bottom line is you have to get someone that can fucking act. That's the number oh, one obviously. important thing that you have to be able to do. You have to be yeah. able to act. Um, the swollen, the, the getting swole, like you can do a lot with body makeup. Um, I, I think like you could probably get someone that's already like in very good Jack shape and do the Steve Rogers thing from like Captain America first Avenger where you made mm-hmm. Chris Evans look like he was a 98 pound weakling. You could use yeah, that same technology. Digitally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can just I, put them. I mean, I mean, I don't expect the last of us part two or, or season two, I guess to be out anytime soon. So right. get somebody, hire somebody right now, get them on a fitness regimen and they yeah. will be, Within a year and a half, they will be that size if you and, want them to be that size. And film all the young Abby scenes before you send them off to Marvel uh-huh. camp to, to get cycled and swolled. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know if they're ready for that. That's the problem, right? Yeah. Like, that that writing to production window is usually a little tighter. But uh, Andy H. has another fun to get uh, casting suggestion. I think Florence Pugh should play Abby. She's got her anti-hero chops already with Yelena Belova. Uh, and already has the correct hair. True. Because that's yes. other than her jacked body, the thing that you think of Abby first is her thick swinging p- p- uh, ponytail, her uh-huh. braid. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to pump her up. But 
you could do it. Like I said, she's got to act. Can she believably play a young girl? Like really young. <laughs> she almost has too much charisma to play Abby. Like I, Florence, hmm. you know, yeah, Abby puke, has she comes off as just like endlessly charismatic. Yeah. And I did not get that from Abby whatsoever. So she would oh. really, I mean, look, she's an actor. I'm sure she can tone it down. Yeah. But boy, she'd be bringing a lot of charisma baggage to that role. Yeah. She does the, the, the hair and the face are pretty good. She's not very big. She's only five mm-hmm. foot four, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that Abby is like super tall. She's just like really just pushed her body to like the limit of what you can get a human body to be in a post-apocalyptic situation. Um, yeah, I mean, Bella she Ramsey can act. Is not she can definitely tall, right? fucking act. So. Yes. Uh, finally, we get to Kate. Says, "I've uh, you've both teased your opposing views and Joel's decision at the end of the game, and I can't wait until we get there to talk it all through." <laughs> Listening to your coverage this week, you've analyzed the concept of what is a human life worth. I agree with you that this question is at the core of the entire TLU franchise. Oh no, this is the email I ch- I, I teased about. Uh, illuminating oh. a thought it's 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 locked <laughs> behind the super spore lore sections there's a possible Shit. what the fuck were you guys all right uh you super spore lore people are in for a treat uh you've analyzed the concept of what a human life is worth i agree with you that this question is at the core of the entire t lu franchise the games act this question in a very clear obvious way first with joel and ellie in game one then with joel ellie abby and lev in game two I wonder if TV-only audiences might wear thin on this message being told cons- constantly, first with Frank and Bill, now with Henry and Sam, Kathleen and her brother. I find, I found Kathleen to be very similar to Abby and that she was enacting vengeance on Sam, even though Sam was only doing it to save Henry. What do you think? Well, these self-contain- self-contained stories wear thin, or do they only work to reinforce the overall message of the franchise? Uh, I, think it's a, I, think I think it's a fair point. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, in my mind, they're they're holding the issue up and looking at it from different angles, and I think that's valuable. Because um, it's not... I don't think it's cut and dry, you know? And if you don't kind of lean into it and say, well, we need to figure out... We need to show you all, all aspects of this thing before you can really make a decision on the final episode. Yeah. I think it's valid. It's I, something I'm I, still enjoying it, but I, you're right. It's risky. Yeah. And it's, it's something as the weeks have gone by and people keep on, I, this is, I think the second time someone brought this up in like um, the end of episode three and I'm like, ah, it's kind of premature, but like, yeah, this pattern keeps right. being developed. Um, will it seem come across as melodramatic or like morgalizing, you know, the battle days of the walking dead where they kind of like, you feel like you're on this treadmill. I, I think that they that they've been doing a good job of like the previous emailer pointed out that these are different aspects of love that they're focusing on mm-hmm. um, and that they will. I, I assume they're going to weave together like a net that's going to really support the story, the main storytelling of, of episode uh, The Last of Us Part Two. But yeah, I, I, I got that first feeling organically when I was listening to this week's official podcast and they're talking about the Kathleen and Michael stuff and Henry and Sam, and they were talking about the motivations behind that. And Craig said something along, and if this is seem, seeming very familiar to you, Last of Us Two fans, mm-hmm. then and I'm like, as a smidgen of that, I, we're, we're just talking about the spoilers, like he he he, I can't wait, and like <laughs> yeah, that's really fucking on the nose, guys. Like, 
Are you it not was. Wor- yeah, it, worried that you're going to burn people too. out? Uh, yeah, I remember said you said that. something and, about that too. And like, like you're pointing out here, it's not necessarily a theme that goes away after season one of this show, right? <laughs> it's mm. something that carries through to right to the end of the the games, both of them. So we've got a long way to go on that stuff. I do think it's it's going to be a little bit different when the moment at the end of game one actually comes in the series because you know holding it up and looking at it and deciding what would i do is different from seeing okay what would joel do and Mm -hmm. what would and what would ellie given the chance uh have him do you know would would she agree with the decision he makes would she not and i think that's going to be interesting to see in its own right is just how these characters that we've known for nine episodes now uh, react to that scenario. And that's kind of separate from, you know, what, what a viewer might think about the issue in general. Yeah. I, like I said, I, the thing is, is these guys are expert storytellers as far as I can tell. And like, if we're thinking about this five episodes in surely to God, they have, and I know that oh, like yeah. filmmakers and they can make mistakes. And I, I think one thing that like in d- season two is a danger of is like, again, turning a lot of people off at the Abbey of it all. But like, I don't know that that would be a mm-hmm. fatal flaw. Like if, if it turns out that like they start off 10 million people watching the last of us two and they end up with 5 million, I don't know that they'd be disappointed. Yeah. Especially if they don't have any plans to do a season three, which it sounds like yeah. currently they don't. So. Even though if that's a less, but like, yeah, you know, I don't know as, as much of Inca spilled about like how polarizing the last of us two was that game sold tens of millions of copies and by mm-hmm. and large has a really uh, very highly regarded. So like, I, I just feel like all the tool, all those things are there. Surely they are hyper aware. They, they've always been hoping to do last of us two. I think it seems like that they were well into talks to do it before the thing was released. This fact that we've gotten it renewed already. So like, I, I think I got to think that Craig and Neil are hyper aware of this. If we're aware of it at this point. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for the podcast this week. Thanks for everybody who sent in feedback. T-Lou, T-L-O-U at baldmove.com is how you do that. Uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash baldmove. Uh, appreciate a rate and review of our podcast on iTunes. If you can uh, are listening uh, uh, on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And also, since this is the – oh, wait. I thought this was the, this is just a spore lore. I thought this was like the supporter only. Everybody's listening. I don't have to thank anybody for supporting. Although, if you are a supporter, thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) we will get to the live instant take instant talk uh, this Sunday night immediately after episode airs probably around 10 o'clock thereabouts if you are a supporter you get the full meal deal and you can watch us live check it out at support.baldmove.com we will see you Sunday night and for the full podcast next Tuesday because we are back to our regular schedule until then I am Aaron and I'm Jim see you soon